This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mento LLC. Mento LLC Trade Consulting focuses on issues of duty minimization, recovery, and elimination, while also helping our clients with trade compliance issues of both the import and export nature and global cargo security. You can reach us at 978-317-3250 or email me directly at pete.mento at Mento LLC. From Washington, D.C., this is Trade Geek Podcast with your host, Pete Mento. You know, if you would have asked me when I was six or seven years old what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would not have said um, Earth's Economist Supreme. I certainly would not have said, I want to be an economist. No, no. I would have told you one of two things. Either I wanted to be the catcher for the Boston Red Sox or that I wanted to be an astronaut. Yes, I wanted to be an astronaut. And now that there are just regular old people apparently, you know, packing their backpack with extra sandwiches and jumping on SpaceX uh, equipment and orbiting around the Earth a bunch of times and doing a little work for old Elon, I guess it's not that crazy. I mean, it's crazy for me. I get winded going up too many flights of steps, but people actually have that opportunity. And that's crazy. I'm not really, um, I'm not realistically ever going to get a chance to do it, but I would if I could. And I've been a bit of an explorer my whole life. You know, I've, I've been all over the world. And the crazy thing about this job is so many of us get to do that. We get to travel and we get to have friends just about everywhere. And on today's podcast, I get to talk to one of those friends. My friend, Alan Gear, has had a pretty amazing career and he's gotten to do a lot of really cool things and work for one amazing company. Alan and I, the last time we got to see each other pre-pandemic, we were actually in Europe together, first over in Dublin for a con, um, I don't know what you call it. I guess it was a convention, but it was more of a um, of a learning environment. And then after that, the two of us were in Amsterdam, where I got to have dinner with his wife, and um, got to sit through an amazing meeting, where a, a colleague of his told me a story about identifying, uh, well, let's face it, a terrorist, while he was working in law enforcement. It was incredible. Alan is one of these guys who. And his day job has an amazing enough thing that he does. He's one of the very important people involved in supply chain security, brand protection at Microsoft. But then on the side, just because he felt like he could help people and do more and be more engaged and network and because he loves security so much, he got involved with TAPA. And then from getting involved with TAPA, because he's competent (laughs) and because he really wanted to help people and do the right thing, he ended up being the, the chairman very recently, and it's a lot of responsibility. But if you know Alan, you know he's the kind of guy that seeks responsibility out because he's a good guy. And if you know Alan, he's the kind of guy you want to have that responsibility. He's going to do a good job because he's a good guy. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with him today. I know I sure did. Without further ado, for Microsoft and TAPA, my great friend, Alan Gear. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the Trade Geek Podcast. I'm uh, very happy this week to go in a direction that I don't think we spend enough time in, and that's talking with and about um, people who work in an industry that has become very, very important and very, very connected with supply chain and international logistics, and that is cargo security, risk management, and uh, both brand protection, I guess anti-counterfeit, and also to talk about a organization involved in international supply chain that has become an important part of my life, um, probably almost for 20 years now. Wow. I first got wrapped up with TAPA in uh, 2001 when I started working with expeditors. So it's been, I can't believe it's been 20 years that I've been, I think it's been 20 years that I've been wrapped up with TAPA. My gosh, Alan. Uh, but, but today we have a friend of mine who is joining us who I have uh, been very blessed with um, interacting with in all kinds of different ways, both professionally and also as, as a friend. And Alan Gear is with Microsoft. He has two fascinating hats that he wears. One is his full-time gig, which takes up a lot of brain power and a lot of time. He is a senior risk manager for protection services at Microsoft. I hope I said that right. He'll correct me if I didn't. And he is... Uh, out of the Seattle area, up in Washington state. But he also has been recently elevated to um, the TAPA's, TAPA America's chair. And we'll talk more about TAPA and, and what that organization does. It is a fascinating organization with a very broad mission, lots of incredible goals, and most of the really neat people in cargo security that we've talked to here. And I talked to, um, whenever I have issues with cargo security, they're not just members, they're active members. So, um, and, and, and the last thing I'll say is Alan and I share a very uh, deep fascination and love of all things space exploration. So whenever there is a new documentary or something happens <laughs> involving that, he's the first person I text or call. And I've been chasing Alan to come on and I'm, I'm happy you could make the time, pal. So. With that, Alan Garrett, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Pete. It's it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to 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 it. I've enjoyed your podcast so far. Oh man, uh, thank you so much. So, as is always the case, um, you know, the first thing I like to ask is for you to just talk about the, the the day gig that you're doing now. Talk about the kind of responsibilities that you do, and people are going to be interested to hear about. Uh, you know, the day-to-day -day work of a guy who's got a pretty big job working for one of the world's largest, most complicated companies at Microsoft. So talk to us about the kind of things that you do and sort of the responsibilities you have there at Microsoft and brand protection and, and risk management. Sure. Um, so I've been with Microsoft since 2000 um, and I joined uh, Microsoft and I was in the supply chain. So I was managing suppliers, uh, building software or distributing software uh, or, um, you know, some logistics, therefore, uh, you know, and then got into some anti-piracy things. And then eventually I fell into this, uh, they decided to move my job to Reno and I wasn't prepared to move. And I found another job at Microsoft that uh, a former manager said, hey, <laughs> you know, you have some really good skills in supply chain. We're, we're doing this supply chain security thing. And um, the security guys totally understand security, but the supply chain, they don't have a, a great 
uh, knowledge of, you know, how our products are being built and where they're being built and all that stuff. Would you like to work for me? And that's kind of how I fell into uh, what I do. And I've been doing that since 2006. And um, Microsoft is a weird and goofy place. We build software, we build mice and keyboards, we build Xboxes now, and we build uh, surface devices and accessories and all sorts of, of hardware now. And so the, the world has gotten a lot more complicated. And then we have another channel that uh, we have um, stickers, security labels that go on the back of PCs. I think everybody's familiar with that. And there's a whole security uh, protocol around that sort of thing because those stickers have more anti-piracy features than a $100 bill, for instance. So we we secure everything from point A to point B, you know, from conception to uh, uh, scrap even, right? So it's just been, you know, a whirlwind ride for 20 years. And I've just been very privileged to to have the job and the management that I've I've had over the years. It's, it's really fun. Did you grow up in Washington State? Uh, mostly, yes. Okay. So the east side of the state, Spokane, Washington, was where I spent most of my life. Well, most of my young life. Now it's been on the west side here in the Seattle area. How does a kid from Spokane end up working in this kind of a world? How, did you, <laughs> did, did, they, did they just go out and when Microsoft started getting big and just start grabbing people by the shirt collar and throw them in a desk chair? And Well, there's, there's lots of lore, you know, Microsoft <laughs> lore, but um but basically, um, I, f I finished college. I, I, I went to the University of Washington. So um, when I was in Spokane, um, Warren Moon went to the Rose Bowl, the University of Washington went to the Rose Bowl, and I was choosing colleges at the time. And because they, they had a football team that went to the Rose Bowl, I chose the University of Washington. And I, I did some studies there, and then I transferred over to Eastern Washington University back in Spokane and, and finished up my degree there. Um, and then, as always, when you when you finish your degree in finance or, or in mine is in finance and economics, um, then it's like, hey, how do you find a job? And uh, Spokane was in a recession. I moved to the Seattle area, and one thing led to another, and a, <clears throat> a buddy of mine that um, I, he was a president of a business fraternity, and then I was president after him in college. And he said, hey, I've got this job at Boeing. My manager's looking for buyers. And I'm like, what is a buyer? And one thing led to another, and I, Boeing Aerospace hired me, and I worked for a number of years there <laughs> as a buyer. And then uh, I had a manager that said, hey, buying it at an aerospace company isn't so fun. You should look for another job if you want to not get stuck at Boeing forever and ever. Um, things have changed and Boeing is a great career, but and I, all my, I still play poker monthly with all my Boeing buddies. But uh, so I, uh, I left the company, uh, joined a couple of different small electronics firms. And then in 2000, I ended up at Microsoft. And um, although I've only had two official jobs at Microsoft, my job has changed year to year to year. And so it's just been, you know, fun and exciting um, since that time, you know, and it really is, you know, hey, uh, I fell into these jobs. It wasn't planned. It just, hey, what's this? And next thing you know, I'm doing something different, right? And I have a finance degree and yeah, I'm doing security. So go figure. 
that's that's a um the people i know in security like you know like you and chuck and tony and everybody basso all these it's a it's got to be one of the more even more than trade compliance it moves so fast things change so much and i don't know if that's just the nature of the people who are trying to steal everything <laughs> being yeah. so creative or or what but the the amount of information you have to be privy to it does sound exciting when people, young people ask me about working in, in supply chain. I always say to them, cybercrime, you know, cybersecurity, security period is a really cool area of, of what we do because there's a lot of exciting and fun stuff that happens. Uh, it has been a it has been a gift, I have to say. And and through it, I've been able to meet a lot of amazing people, uh, Pete. I'm, I mean, you and I met. Gosh, uh, you probably don't even remember when we met, but um, I think you were working for Expeditors and you were giving a talk, a trade talk, and I was, in, still am, involved in the CTPAT program. And I traveled down to Portland and I think we were at like a, I don't know if it was Fred Meyer or some of the, one of the local Oregon um, companies, and you were giving a trade talk and I met you there. And then since then through TAPA and, and other things, right? So it's it's been, and I want to say that was, that seems like it was about 2006, 2007, something like that, a long time ago. I am so old and tired, Alan. And, and then, I mean, the, the last time, I, the last time you and I really, was the last time you and I hung out Europe? It was, yeah. It, it, we we uh, were at the TAPA event in Dublin, I think. And then it turned out we were both traveling to the same cities. And then we met up in Amsterdam again for dinner. And uh, it was a gas. Yeah, and you and I, um, you and I had a beer with, with a, uh, an investigator who, um, uh, he was a former British police officer, wasn't he? Uh, yes. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who, who that was. Was that Brendan? I remember his name, but he was a fascinating guy. He, he, um, you know, he talked to me a lot about just using there were there were methodologies that he could teach people to identify suspicious characters and he was a, he was a neat guy and that's the thing it's like you you guys introduced me to people you know it's because at tapa i went to a, a miami police department training and i i got to talk to the guy who um who um interrogated saddam hussein and it was like who who gets to do that <laughs> who gets to have these conversations it's just crazy the people that i meet because of this stuff you know, and not only that, it's like you, right? You you work for Microsoft. You're the head of Tappa. How does that happen? Because I went to Fred Myers and gave a speech about trade. It's just, I mean, it's kind just of, you know, it little points here and there kind of push our careers different directions and what excites us. And yeah, I mean, that was looking back. That was like one of the exciting things, right? It's like, you know, you have your day job, and sometimes a lot of it is not exciting. And then every once in a while, you get to little little cheese here and there that keeps it go keeps you going ex and, and excited right so yeah. well the, you know we're two guys that live on opposite sides of the country and the last time i think that you and i got to have dinner together was in amsterdam yeah that was a good night it was a good night it was a good night especially because we got to stick one of my partners with a really a really big bill so <laughs> and i think actually we got to buy your wife a nice bottle of wine too which was a lot of fun for me and speaking of drinking, something I don't think people realize about you is you're a very accomplished brewer. Uh, there, there is you and my friend Ken Davis at Kuhnenagel, who are probably the, the two people who are probably the most accomplished that I know in this industry. So you are quite the brewer. 
Yeah, I, I picked up that hobby, boy, <laughs> like, not, not, I don't know, 80-something, late 80s, and I've been kind of toying around with it ever since, and you just keep buying more and more equipment, junk up your garage, and, uh, you know, I've built a, a kegerator out of a freezer and taps and all that stuff. I just don't drink enough anymore, you know, to brew as much as I want. The thing, Alan, is, so there's a lot of people I know that start brewing beer, and um, they bring it over and like, you gotta, you gotta try this. And, and, and I do, and it's just, it's not good at all. You know, you brew great stuff. And um, I've, I have a lot of friends here in New England in particular, New England, you know, definitely the Pacific Northwest. That's another beer happy place, right? But you, you go to these brew, you know, they're all drinking these local brewing beers. And a lot of times I can't stand it. Um, but I had a, a German friend once who was over here and we took him to a, a brewery and this friend of mine said, Hey, you, you know, you should come try my beer. And uh, this German colleague of mine said, why would I want to try your experiments? And I've, I've never, I've never heard it said so insultingly, but so well at the same time. It's like, why would I want to drink your experiments? But your stuff isn't experiments. Your stuff is very good. So um, I, I just thought that's, Anybody, if any of you uh, is listening, if Alan ever asked you to try his stuff, it's not an experiment. It's actually quite well made. You should definitely try it. Um, and then the other thing, I, th I think, you know, the whole, the whole space thing, um, I forget when it was. I was, I think I was on a Zoom call with you and I saw all of your NASA stuff. How did you get so into space exploration? Well, you know, like everybody else um, that is old as dirt, um, <laughs> You know, I remember watching, um, you know, all the space stuff on on TV, like watching Walter Cronkite, you know, and in 1969, when when we landed on the moon, you know, on that small TV, sitting around with my parents and my sisters watching Neil Armstrong buzz, you know, walk on the moon. And and I was fascinated by it. And I saved I don't know if you remember high C labels, you know, high C uh punch that came in a can i remember saving labels for high c and then sending it in and getting a picture of you know neil armstrong on the moon right you know that was one of the the, the goofy things and then you know i started working for uh boeing right as space company and i was working in aerospace i fell into that job and i got to work on you know when the, the space shuttle blew up. I was working on the AWACS program. And when the space program blew up, I ended up on a heavy lift launch vehicle program where I was working in space transportation systems, right? So um, I've, I've always had a passion for it, you know, if I could, if I, you know, and so I followed it. And uh, one event that I went to when I was working at another company, Gene Krantz talked at that company, you know, it was fascinating, right? I got to meet Gene. And then when there was uh, one of the big, uh, I think Apollo 11 events at the local museum of flight, um, a bunch of the uh, controller guys and Gene Krantz and Fred Hayes and, and Lovell all showed up. All right. And so of course I, you know, dumped my family and go early on a Saturday morning to meet all those guys and stand in line and, and say hi. So yeah, it just, it's just fascinating, right? Now this whole, I never thought, I was so disappointed when NASA, you know, said, oh, we're going to go public. And boy, I've never been so wrong in my life. How cool is it now to live in a time where, you know, before I die, we'll have somebody on Mars. I mean, that is just fascinating. And now I'm thinking, you know, 
what's the supply chain behind that? What is, what's the security of the supply chain behind that? It's just fascinating stuff. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I watched this, um, this interview where Elon Musk is talking about using autonomous rockets to go to Mars with robots to set up the landing site before people get there so that it's already pre-supplied. And then making sure that, that the supply chain and logistics is absolutely flawless so that we don't have to worry about that, that, that they, can, they can stay on, they keep their mind on their scientific mission, that there are people in the background that are focused on that so that the science can continue. And I think to myself, you know, that's all that we're doing. We're, we're trying to keep in a different way, right? So that retail can happen or that, or that, or that uh, manufacturing can happen or that space exploration can happen. I, I had this um, friend of mine whose son was a very, very good uh, lacrosse player who wanted to play for Maine Maritime where I went to undergrad. And uh, he went to a high school here in New Hampshire called Pinkerton Academy, which is a public high school, but it's still called Pinkerton Academy. And it's in Derry, New Hampshire. And they changed the mascot to the Astros. And they did that because it's where Alan Shepard went to high school. And I uh, met with him and I was talking to him and he wanted to go in the Navy and he wanted to be a pilot. And so I'm talking to this kid and I said, wow, well, you know, it sounds like you kind of want to be Alan Shepard. And this kid says to me, who's that? <laughs> and so I'm thinking to myself, you went to the same high school as him. You kind of want to go on the same career path. You're from the same town as him. And you don't even know who he is. And, and that, that kind of broke my heart, man. You know, there's a lot of times when I talk about everything that SpaceX is doing and all, you know, all these billionaires who are so dedicated to this next, the next era of American innovation, the fact that people call me a nerd for geeking out about it, I just look at them and I think, why aren't you geeking out about yeah. this? You know, what, what else is happening that even comes close to what yeah. we're accomplishing as a species right now? I, I, all, I can't even imagine. All the technology that came from the space program that is coming from the space program, we totally take for granted now. If you take the Kennedy Space Tour uh, you know, it's like a day tour, you know, they, they list all the things that came from the space from NASA and NASA doesn't like patent those. They give that stuff away, right? Velcro, you know, junk like that. I mean, just tons of stuff that is benefiting uh, our society, our world. That's awesome. Have you ever been to a, a launch? I've never been to one. No, that's on my bucket list. I'm, I so want to go. Yeah. I would love to be there to just feel like all that horsepower wash over me. <laughs> just to like feel the earth shake and watch that thing go up in the sky. I mean, where would you, how would you even do that now? Because I guess NASA is not actively engaged, are they? Yeah, they are. You can, uh, they, if you go to the NASA site or the Kennedy Space Center site, they have all the launches and you can watch, watch them from across the bay or across the, the water. There are places to watch them, um, and certain certain launches uh, have more people than other launches. You know, so okay. Well, we need to put together a road trip. Oh, I'm in. Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk about um, your other. I don't know what you call it. Your incredibly uh, time-consuming hobby, your non-paid <laughs> time-consuming hobby uh, that you've recently been, uh, I guess, elected to. Is that the right term? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, congratulations on that. Um, thank you for your service, um, Tony, Anthony, um, and uh, I guess welcome, God save the King. So um, you are now the TAPAS America Chair. 
Yep. And for those people who aren't aware of what uh, TAPA is, could you just talk a little bit about TAPA and talk sure. a bit about what it means to be the chair for the Americas? Well, okay. So uh, TAPA is uh, Transported Asset Protection Association, and it uh, started um, about 23 years ago. Um, some folks in the industry, the technology industry from Intel and HP and some of the other things, they were experiencing cargo losses. And I, I envisioned that they were at a bar somewhere and said, hey, how do we stop this? We have something in common. And then from there, uh, they created TAPA and it's grown and grown. And in fact, we have uh, three regions and a number of chapters in, in those regions. Um, and everybody is a little bit different, but we have um, a set of standards that we abide by uh, worldwide and certifications uh, for uh, facilities and, uh, and trucking associations and a couple other standards as well. Um, our mission is basically to minimize cargo losses from the supply chain um, and, and develop uh, application of global standards, recognized industry practices, technology, edu education, benchmarking, regulatory collaboration, and proactive identify, identification of crime uh, trends and things like that. So that's, that's basically the premise. How I got to where I was was very similar to my career and everything else. I, I got interested in it. Um, I started attending meetings and then, you know, I, you know, hobnobbing with everybody there. It's a great networking event. So you can, hey, you know, what are you doing to secure this? I have this problem. And you start talking to some of the other folks there. And then pretty soon you're listening to, you know, folks like you chat uh, or present and, and others from companies like Sony and Facebook and, and, and uh, Intel, you know, other, other companies, right? And, and um, I got talking to one of the chairs, uh, Alan Spears, and he said, hey, why don't you join the board? I'm like, oh, okay, what do I have to do? And he goes, just run for election. And, and, uh, and I go, well, no, no, what do I have to do? What, <laughs> what, what duties do I have to do? And he goes, well, you can be a member at large, board member at large, and, and, and just um, show up to the meetings and, and um, give your input and things like that. And then pretty soon I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then I said, you know, hey, what would it be like to, to, to say maybe go for one of the officers and he goes oh you should do that and the next thing you know i'm secretary i spent a stint at secretary and and then eventually i'm vice chair for a while and then um then i got elected this last go around as uh, chair and so that started uh, mid-december and um, i'm taking over from anthony lemus at facebook and anthony uh set a, a really good stage and it seems like um Things change, but they're the same. Um, and uh, Anthony did a lot of really good things with his board uh, over the last four years. Prior to that, um, Scott Dedick and Dave Wilt and, and Alan Spear and others. So we're stepping up our game as we go. And uh, we're hoping to have more involvement this, this year from our board and, and even more members um, uh, getting involved in our committees and things like that. So it's it's a really exciting time. and. It's a weird time, right, because of, of COVID. But if you look at glass half full, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of, of COVID. People aren't, may, may not be traveling and we may not be having these meetings in person and, and networking and drinking beers, but 
there's technologies out there that we're developing like virtual audits versus in-person audits or, um, you know, meeting more often uh, virtually. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of it. And, and honestly, again, it's sort of what I fell into and, and how interesting it became. And so um, I, I thought it was a good um, use of my time and I get, I get charged up out of, out of, out of uh, working with all these folks and my management is very, very supportive of it. So, you know, I'm going to work as hard as I can uh, while I'm here. Yeah. Tab is a great organization. Uh, the guys are very collaborative. The, the vibe I get there has always been non-confrontational. There's it's just people trying to help one another and they're just a friendly group of people. They've been super good to me. Anytime I've ever needed help. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not a, a, a trade. I'm not, I'm not a security professional. I think I should put it that way. I'm not somebody who is actively engaged. I mean, I'm involved in terrorism studies. I'm an academic, but I'm not boots on the ground dealing with this stuff. And whenever I've needed help with that, no one has ever done anything but shower me with kindness at Tapa. And every event that I've gone to, people just say, if you ever need anything, let me know. And that's not lip service. Whenever I call people like, yeah, no problem. What do you need? It's been, they've just been the nicest group of people. I can't say enough about how kind people at Tapa, yourself, everybody has ever been. I mean, you're talking about Alan Spear, David Wilt, these people who have been wonderful to me whenever yeah. I needed anything. I mean, I always quote David Wilt. David Wilt has, has the greatest line, right? Um, David Wilt worked for Xerox. He's retired. He's on the board as an emeritus uh, person. He just can't give it up, right? Um, and, and he gets up in front of people and says, I can't do my job without TAPA. Without TAPA, I couldn't do my job. And what he means by that is, you know, we all have all sorts of different problems. Why not leverage what other people's experiences are? And TAPA is a great place to network. It's like, oh, hey, I have problem A at the Mexican border. This goofiness is going on. Has anybody else experienced this? What kind of countermeasures are you using or or, or what did you do to solve it? What can I do to solve it? And I, you know, all sorts of stuff, cyber stuff, right? We're getting into this cyber stuff, right? Trucks are gonna be autonomous, ships are gonna be autonomous. <laughs> How are you gonna control that? What What are you gonna do to ensure that bad things don't happen? Right, yeah, I, I, I can't say enough good things about it. And then, you know, not long ago when I started my own company and had to get over the crippling anxiety of that. TAPA was the first organization to come and say, what can we do to help you to build your brand? And when I didn't really have a platform for trade school anymore, boom, you know, there was Cindy, there were you guys just saying, can we, can we do this with you? And, well, you know, it, the, the overlap there, I mean, I know that, hey, you're a trade expert, economics expert, all that stuff. But what people don't get is that it's all interrelated. And so the stuff that you talk about, the expertise that you have overlaps and actually benefits our members um, to know this stuff, right? Because it, it gives vectors to what bad guys might be doing and, and how do we get ahead of those guys? We're always behind those guys. It's hard to be ahead of bad guys. They're very creative. It's kind of you to say, and uh, Cindy is very patient and kind with me when she doesn't need to be, so. Um... She's wonderful. But enough waxing poetic. It is time for us to get to the end of uh, the Trade Geek podcast and the famous three questions that everyone has to endure. 
So I hope you're ready. Three questions that have nothing to do with trade. Are you ready? Go. All right. Question number one, the first car that you ever owned, Alan, what was it? What happened to it? And, uh, you know, tell, tell us all about it. So first car. Oh, it was a Datsun 810 nice. station wagon. <laughs> it, oh, was a wow. hand, it was a hand-me-down from my dad. It had the 240Z engine in it, fuel injected, and I may have sped a little bit on that. Okay. And um, eventually I got my first job at Boeing and I could afford uh, I could afford a, a newer car and I, I traded up to a, a Prelude SI. 1985 and a half. So oh, those preludes were badass. That was a that was a fun fun car. Yeah. So you had a Datsun, huh? I did. What color was and it? It was a white station wagon. Yeah. And and right now I still have a Datsun, right? So I have the Nissan 350 convertible. <laughs> so so I yeah, I just can't get away from those Z engines. I guess not. My mom had a 280ZX at one point. Oh, that was a great car. Yeah, it was. Um, it was that blue that they had, and then she she traded that in for a, one of the new Mazda RX sevens when those uh, first came out, and that was a pretty awesome car. But um, yeah, man. So looks like Rocket Man kind of likes his uh, his his quick cars. All right, question number two: first job you ever had that actually, uh, you know, it, it issued you a paycheck. What was it, and do you remember what they paid you? Oh shoot. Um... What would like, it's kind of like selling uh, in Kalama, Washington, D.B. Cooper, where D.B. Cooper allegedly bailed out. <laughs> and I was, I was living there. And my dad was building um, the section of Interstate 5 between uh, Longview and Woodland, Washington. Okay. Um, I walked from house to house um, selling newspaper subscriptions to the local newspaper wow and they would pay me whatever commission i got off of that oh. you know in fifth and sixth grade well that's a tough gig for a sixth grader oh man in in um in kalama it's not like the appalachian hillbilly hills sort of thing but it's at the time it, you know there were a lot of um diversity in ec economic diversity around there and it was it was a different time man i you know everybody complains about having to be a lifeguard and stuff and that you were literally a door-to-door -door salesman at 12 and then the other the other job and i still can't eat strawberries to this day was you know getting up at four in the morning mm -hmm. and picking strawberries and for a nickel a flat or you know you know, it was, you know, I ate so many strawberries and threw so many that uh, I, they taste good. I just can't eat them. Yeah, brings back difficult memories. I can dig it. So the third question, I got a feeling this is this is probably not going to surprise me. If, if the laws of physics and time didn't matter and I had a magic wand and I could wave that wand and I could give you any career that you could possibly want other than the one that you currently have or have ever had, what job would you want, Alan? Dude, there. I'm gonna say I have two. Okay. One is one is own a brewery or, or or manage a brewery, you know, make my own beer and and sell it and just you know enjoy life, you know, uh, cocktails with folks. Um, the other one, I'd love to be an astronaut, man. That would the coolest job in the world. Yeah, I was pretty sure you're gonna say that. Yeah. yeah. 
maybe be one of the guys that goes to Mars with SpaceX? I, dude, if I could do it, I would, right? I mean, my my one son, uh, he's like, hey, would you, he's in the Air Force, but doesn't want to fly a plane. Um, but he, he's like, oh yeah, I'd go. I'm like, dude, you might not come home. It might be a permanent gig. And he's like, yeah, but it'd be really cool. I'm like, wow, that's the pioneering spirit. You know, it's cool, right? And now I'm way more risk averse than I was in my twenties for, for sure. And I don't know that my poor old body could handle that kind of G-force and everything else, but boy, it sure would be cool. Yeah, just once I'd like to see the earth from space. Oh. You know, everybody gives, uh, you know, criticizes those people paying a boatload of money to get up there, you know, that that have that kind of money. I'm like, well, if I had that kind of money and it's disposable income, I might buy a ticket. Thousand percent. I would do it. I would absolutely do it. I would I would I wouldn't write you could I couldn't write that check fast enough. Alan. I would do it right now. Yeah. I get seasick and everything and I'll even go fishing <laughs> once in a while. I, and if I were getting seasick, you know, you know, I'm probably going to get seasick or some kind of sick going up into space and I'd still do it. Aren't these guys going up with SpaceX going to orbit the earth a couple of times before they come back? I think, yeah. And I think they're actually going to do some work, right? They're, they're just not going for a ride. They're actually have some, some things that they need to accomplish with SpaceX. Wow. Well, I, I hope it goes really well. And, and I, I hope this becomes the kind of thing that that eventually, you know, people can save up and do, and it becomes a bucket list goal for people because just imagine, I mean, I, ugh, I know, I know maybe we were born too early for it, but. Oh, I watch shows like the expanse and, and, yeah. and, and I'm like, Oh man, would that be cool? You know, not the war stuff and all that junk, but you know, Mars being out in the belt, mining asteroids, you know, I thought, you know, years ago, somebody saying, Hey, we're going to mine astronauts was a pipe dream. Well, we're not too far from that. No, we're not. And and the moon is is a re, is a real reality that that's going to be something that people are going to on a regular basis. I don't know why, but you know, so it'll be a regular thing. I, I just I'm blown away by it. I'm blown away by it. You know, my daughter will probably see a human being born on Mars before she dies. That's cool. It's crazy. Well, Alan, I always love talking to you, and I, I I'm sure that everyone listening loved hearing about. Uh, the career that you've got and how you got there and what TAP is doing. And I'm looking forward to the pandemic being over so you and I can hang out and have a beer. Oh, me too. Me too. Thank you very much, Pete. Thanks for being on and uh, good luck with everything. Take care, bud. All right. Bye now.